You're listening to The Nerd Table on CKCC Radio, starring Dan Peck. Have you seen the card for the New Japan show tomorrow? It's going to be sweet. Eric Flores. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, go ahead. And CKCC Radio's founder, Chris O'Mealy. Breaking news. I have a crush on Sasha Banks. Listen to CKCC Radio wherever you find your favorite podcast. Welcome to the Nerd Table, everyone. I am Chris O'Mealy, joined by my partner in crime, Dan Peck. Hey, how's it going? It is going. We do not have Eric this week, however. Eric is competing in a Yu-Gi-Oh! tournament, which I wish him the best of luck in, mostly because he has way more patience for that stuff than I do. But he did well enough to get invited back, which is exciting for him. And I hope the next time we talk to him, he's not completely distraught from getting destroyed in it. Or is that when he plays League of Legends? I get confused sometimes. I I don't remember which of those games he rages at more. We'll have to ask him next time. So, what are we going to do without Eric, Dan? I mean, we still have part of the show that's already... Sorry, scripted. Yeah, I guess, but... But I guess we we look for someone else with their own opinions and fandoms. So what I did was I actually replaced Eric, my my wife from another world, with somebody much better looking. My actual wife. So everybody, please welcome back to the show, Shannon. Hi, thanks for having me. So I'm on the talk show. You kind of are. I guess, yeah. I mean, that's really what this could be considered. We just talk about nerdy stuff, but... Yeah, so one of the big jokes at Disney was everybody was convinced that Eric and I were going to get married. I was too, don't worry. (laughs) So... There's a legit concern. We subverted all your expectations, though. (laughs) In some ways, Eric and I are probably married. We're, We're spiritually married. So, how many parallel universes are you? Well, that's the question, right? We're definitely married in one of them, and it's probably not that far off. Well, there's a TikTok trend going on that if the multiverse is real, I hope this and this isn't every one of them. Usually, like meeting someone in particular, or so it, I guess it could be like that the multiverses. Although you really don't have to stretch too far to find Eric and I married in another universe. I'm sure. Definitely not. (laughs) We are recording this episode on Sunday, June the 5th. It is effing hot outside. Shannon spent some time out by the pool, which I'm sure was very nice. Oh, it was so nice. And what did you say? Somebody ordered a pizza and it got delivered to the pool? They ordered, yeah, they ordered a pizza and they just... Passed the cash over the fence and brought the pizza over the fence and just sat at their table. This is a game changer. This is a game changer. This is a life game changer. Wow, dude. Our our fence at our pool is too high for that. There'd be some yeeting going on. (laughs) They could just. you're eating. Just frisbee the pizza box over the top and hope for the best. Yeah, because the only thing you can see in there is is the slide. Because the slide's like 12 feet up, you know? Our community pool doesn't have anything fun like that, does it? We don't have a slide, no. 
We have I a mean, diving section, but no, like, diving board. Now. Well, it's that time of year when it's hot and people want to do stuff to beat the heat. Swimming's a good way to do it. But these community pools are lame because they only open from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And it's hotter during periods of time before and after the fact. So I'm just saying. Could do better with your pool hours, people. Say it is here right now. Well, I mean, most of these places are employed by high schoolers. So you kind of have to work around their school, their school schedule. So, and you can only legally let them work until a certain time of the day. Plus, after a certain time of the day, there's no point in having the pool open anyway. Yeah, that's true. Of course, if you're if you're my father, what you would do is mow the lawn and then immediately get in the pool. That's one way to do it. <laughs> I mean, that's What's really a good of- way of doing it. That's one thing I will say that was positive about living in Florida is that the pools were open all year round and there were days in January we would go to the pool. There have been Christmas Eves that I've spent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because you can. (laughs) So there there are positives to living in the South. They are few and far between, but they are there, people. So we'll give shout outs to all of our friends in Florida. Hi, Megan. Who I know is listening to this because Shannon's on, so. So how's uh, how's Animal Crossing life going, guys? Because we're all players here. Oh, yeah? Dan's about to complete his song collection. Yeah, I got four songs left. Four songs left. We, we cheated, though. I, I sent him my spare copy of KK Birthday that I got on your birthday. Because I got the game on my birthday, so I would have had to wait an entire year before I got that song. Oh, no. I guess Tom Nook doesn't recognize it's your birthday when you move on to the island. No. You have to get through the the tutorial and everything, and then actually get to the next day. I mean, unless you time-traveled. You could I'm sorry, I'm a time-traveler. I... Fuck the rules at that point. I, I have no patience. I've been going straight up so far. Yeah. I did a little time traveling when I was moving my rocks. But all that was was going to the next day and then back again. Although that was still a huge pain and that took me hours to get correct. So, But yes, uh, good old Animal Crossing and... Shannon is planning on doing a reboot soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do reboots, like, every couple of months. I just get bored. I have a completely half-finished island that I just am tired of. (laughs) That's the end of that one. Yep. Well, some of our friends listening to this episode, again, hi, Megan, have have killed Mm -hmm. off more islands than you have, but... Uh, Yeah, you know what? That's fine, though. I mean... She's got better um, concentration on it than I do. I just get bored of it so quick. How many pom-poms have you killed? Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) That's her favorite. I think this is going to be three. Three pom-poms, jeez. That's also my third island, though. Dan, who did you just pick as your new villager? Uh, 
I just got um, Caesar is an OG villager from the first. Oh yeah, game. that's right. What is he? Is he a, a smug? Or he, he he is a what is the one that they're angry? Oh, cranky. <laughs> cranky, yes, cranky. Okay, he's a cranky ape gorilla. Oh. Gorilla. To be he's specific. got a, he's got a little mustache, but I do know he's yeah, an he's OG. Like Caesar Romero. <laughs> he was in the movie. Yes, he is. Although I've like never seen that movie. The the anime movie has one village, one of every species in the town, and it's supposed to be like the most popular one of that species. So it's like Apollo, Whitney, Rosie, um, Margie, the elephant, who are some of the main characters, and then there's like, and then there's Caesar and Cyrano who hang out all the time. I just looked up Caesar on my Animal Crossing app, and he is so cute. I love his picture. He's just staring off into the sunset. His default outfit is the blue shirt with an A on it, so I think he's trying to be Captain America. That would actually fit in with your island aesthetic. But what I found him, I found him on an island when it was raining, so he was wearing like a blue suit with like a nice blue hat. He was like very stirring it up. And I was like, that's where I'm, I'm asking him. <laughs> but that was his is his rain outfit, though. Yeah, we, I love that you still play Animal Crossing, Dan. I actually didn't expect you to be playing this long. Well, there's just always something to do. And, and like when you run out of things to do in a few days, there's more things to do. That's so, true, yeah. I'm sure by the time we get to... December and I'm getting near a year, I'll be done with things to do, so... But then you got the New Year's celebration, and then Bob's birthday. Because, yeah, because I did the New Year's at your at your island. I know, year. you ignored all of your villagers to come hang out with me. <laughs> but well, you were... we were streaming it, so... No, nah, that was fun. We had a good time with that. So... As you guys know, this is our 91st episode. We're doing tributes to each year of the 1990s, the decade that we were all fortunate enough to grow up in. Uh, we were Sha- old enough to remember. Yes, Shannon, also a child of the 90s. Yeah, 1991, I was five. Five. But you were still conscious to, to things that were happening, so... I actually distinctly remember my childhood bedroom at that point in time. I was was, at kindergarten, so like that's yeah. What was what were your distinct childhood bedroom features? So I really liked New Kids on the Block. So and that was when they were like really really huge. I everything. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember the cartoon. I loved it. Um, I had new kids on the block, everything. Um, curtains, a bedspread, pillows, the dolls. If it had their faces on it, it was in my bedroom. So I distinctly remember that. However, that wasn't your pure boy band obsession. Is that correct? No, it was not. It was just the start. Who were the main boys in your life? ESB for life. <laughs> who's the, I love Who's Backstreet the best Boys. Backstreet Boy and who's the worst Backstreet Boy? Okay, so um, my opinion has changed as an adult, but AJ is by far the best. 
Backstreet Boys. The best. Well, originally it was Nick was your your Oh, yeah, Nick was my first love. But there's there's a lot of problems within that band that, as an adult, I can't really look past. And um, so things have changed a little bit. I don't really look at Nick anymore or really care. Um, He's got a couple of rape allegations against him from different... Um, minor pop stars from like the early 2000s. Um, I think one of them is a girl from Dream. If anybody anybody remembers them, I do not. Oh, I loved her. All right. So, who's the worst Backstreet Boy, and why is it Kevin? Kevin intimidates me. I don't know what it is. He's just always intimidated me. I like Brian, personally. Ooh. He is, um, I don't, I don't know if, um, this is still true because I don't follow him anymore, but, um, back, um, January before, um, Trump's last January when that whole, um, stampede through Congress happened, um, you know, when QAnon forms and everything, Brian publicly was sharing his QAnon handle. Mm-hmm. And, well, yeah, he he was drinking the Trump juice hard. And, you know, once I saw QAnon, I was like, no, absolutely not. Cannot do it anymore. All right. Well, we don't do politics on this show, so I guess that ends the Brian Luttrell portion of the yes. evening. <laughs> well, how about... A tie-in, AJ was on an episode of Guts. Yes. What he? Oh, oh, yes, I think I did see that. I don't think I've seen the actual episode. He's but... AJ Mean McLean. AJ Mean <laughs> McLean, that's awesome. You could do AJ McLean versus Lightning McQueen. But Okay, so we, so, but we do agree that Kevin's the worst because that's just like a Kevin thing. I think we'll go with Brian being the worst, but okay. yeah. So, and then I, what I, about Howie? We didn't even mention Howie. Howie always just gets missed by me, to be quite honest. So he's he's the weakest member of the group. No, absolutely not. He is the soulful member of the group. But we're forgetting him. He's also. The quietest, you know. So, any love for NSYNC or no? You know, I like their songs, but I was never, like, um, so I don't know if you remember late 90s, early 2000s, there was a huge rivalry between NSYNC and Backstreet Boys between the fans. And you could not be stuck in the middle you had to choose a side and um i was severely team backstreet boys severely then i kind of feel like it was mostly an nsync thing but then as time went on more people realized that the backstreet boys were better like they aged better well nsync definitely had the bigger stardom 
they had um, the more more fans. They were selling out, selling more albums. Um, but they kind of fizzled off, obviously once Justin left. But the Backstreet Boys, Kevin left for a bit, and they didn't put out an album without him, which is probably one of their best albums, honestly. Um, and then. Kevin came back but they're still like touring and everything and they're still together as a group actually um, Lance Bass and um, Joey Fatone get together a lot and they'll team up with Nick and AJ and just sing songs so that's really cool they're really good friends so they've sort of merged in a way Kind of, yes. Um, a few years ago, they did um, in or yeah, in sync. So it was like Chris, Joey, and Lance, and then the Backstreet Boys and New Kids on the Block. That's a lot. It was a lot. Did ninety eight degrees get involved too? Or... <laughs> what was that? Did ninety eight degrees get invited to this or no? Um, they were probably at Epcot that year. <laughs> um, it's really sad once your favorite childhood bands start becoming regulars on the Epcot circuit. Uh, you have a friend that you just <laughs> insulted because Hanson goes there every single year. Who are my friends with that are insulted by that? Oh, your childhood friend who loves Hanson? Oh, we're not even friends. I've been talking to her in forever. Okay, well, I hope she doesn't hear this. I doubt it. <laughs> I highly doubt it, too. Anyway, so. But, no, um, 98 Degrees, they go to Epcot. Um, I think, oh, you know who was just there? I was really, if I had known, I would have gone. Um, Simple Plan just played at Epcot, like, two days ago. If I had known, I would have been there. I used to simple love Simple plan. plan. It's like the Nick at Night slash TV Land of band place. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Well, I remember, like, yeah, there. like when all these other all these eighty shows started popping up at Nick at Night, and it wasn't even like two thousand yet. And I was like, I watched that show. <laughs> I remember I feeling. I remember getting upset when I saw Home Improvement on TV Land. Yeah. Like, you're like, I'm watching Nick at Night, and we're watching, you know, black and white shows from the I 50s. love Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> it, two seconds ago, it was I Dream of Jeannie and the Brady Bunch, and now it's... Fran uh, Drescher now, and the Nanny. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Now it'll be late 90s stuff, because that's been 20 years since then, so... Ugh. That's usually the line, 20 years that ago. Hurt. That makes my back hurt. That's going to be like if Boomerang starts showing Tiny Toon Adventures. And that's the, like, yeah, we talked about that last week. Tiny Toon Adventures started in 1990. Yeah, I know. I can't wait for the new one on HBO Max, but still, like, ugh. I hate thinking about that. We're getting old. Well, we're going to age ourselves a little bit here and go back to the year of 1991 and talk about some of the stuff that came out that year. Uh, Dan, what were the top five movies of 1991? Number five, this is, I believe domestic box office released in the year as well is city slickers okay i liked that movie i saw it back then okay 
city slickers. It's a bunch of city, city guys go into the country and do a cattle run. And things happen to them. I've never seen that movie before. I've never heard of that movie before. Billy Crystal. I've heard it's good. I've heard it would be something that I would enjoy. I, I might it even, it it even got a sequel that's less good. But... Oh, gee, really? But is it Caddyshack 2 bad, is the question. Oh, obviously not. <laughs> no, nothing's that bad. Uh, number four movie was The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, personal all-time favorite movie of mine. That's a that's a good that's a legitimately scary movie because it's a psychological thriller, which is scarier than any jump scare or gore fest movie will ever be, or some supernatural. Yeah. Oh, it's so good though. I love that movie. That might be. I still have never like sat down and did like my a list of my all time favorite movies, but it would be on the list. I don't know where it would be, but it would be up relatively high. It could even be top ten. Because I do really, really like that movie. I think the acting's phenomenal. The story's great. There's how many memes came out of Silence of the Lambs? How many references have been made all over the place? Whether it's I mean, it's so much so that it's one of the classic misquoted lines in history. Because what's the what's the line that everybody thinks he says? Everyone thinks he says "Hello, Clarice," but he doesn't say that at all. Like Luke, I am your father doesn't actually say it that way. He does say quid pro Wait, what does he say then? He just says hello. No, also, what does Darth Vader say then? He says, no, I am your father. Oh. oh. I wonder how it got started as Luke, I am your father, because that's what I had always heard. So my, my guess as to how a lot of that stuff happens is somebody makes a reference on, like, a skit show, like a Saturday Night Live, and people remember that. And it just kind of gets lost in translation. I mean, kind of like how the most famous thing Sarah Palin ever said was said by Tina Fey on SNL. And not actually Sarah Palin. And not actually Sarah Palin, yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like um, Nimrod. Bugs Bunny would always call Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. And everybody thought that was actually an insult. He was calling him stupid. He was actually calling him a great hunter because it's a biblical term. But nobody picked up on that, and that got lost in translation, because that's what happens when your cartoon came out in 1945. Everyone's watching it in the 80s and 90s. Right. There was another thing, too. Oh, oh, it was the carrot thing. He wasn't... That had nothing to do with rabbits liking carrots. He was referencing a movie. He was being a smartass. I, I don't... Movie re- I, gotta, I gotta pull up the thing and pull the reference up again. <clears throat> What if you just look up like Bugs Bunny Carrot if it actually I'm like Origin of Carrot on String. Yeah, it was a movie spoof. Oh, my ad blocker's preventing me from reading this article because, you know, that's how the internet works these days. Yeah, it was a Clark Gable reference. From It Happened One Night, because he's eating a carrot in it. So Bugs was doing that to to make a reference to Clark Gable, but everybody thought that that was just, oh, rabbits like carrots, and they went with it. I see it now. <laughs> so, okay, that makes sense. So I, I think that has a lot to do with the whole mistranslation of these lines. Like, that's just, it It gets lost in translation. And, and it, it becomes gets memed incorrectly. And, or it's the Mandela effect. Berenstein bears or Berenstain bears. 
I have a box on, on, but I saw somebody do one recently that was like, no, I've never, that's, that's just you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there have been new ones popping up. Mostly because CERN turned on the Hadron Collider. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that explains everything. But yes. Uh, anyway, Silence of the Lambs, great movie. <laughs> oh, not... sorry. I like the spiral. Uh, he, like we don't. That's the whole show right here. Uh, what else came out in 91, Dan? Hey, we learned that for sure Disney was back because we got Beauty and the Beast. To see that in the movie theater, that was the first movie that I saw. Ooh. Little Mermaid was mine. I remember that. Although, so, my mother does not listen to the show, so I'm going to tell the story anyway. But I asked her once, I said, Mom, what was the first movie you ever took me to the theater to see? And she goes, I don't remember. She goes, I think it was The Little Mermaid, but it, I, but it was probably The Lion King. And I'm like, well, I can tell you it wasn't The Lion King, because Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin came out before that, and I know I went to see those. So let's go with Little Mermaid, because that makes the most sense. Lion King was mid nineties. You would have been way. I, I would have, have seen lots of movies, movies since then. Own. Yeah, you would have been going to the movies with your friends at that point and without your parents. Lion King was ninety four. Yeah. No, we were going to the I movies, but we were sitting separately. Oh no, my parents never came to the movies with us. We just they dropped us off and picked us up. You know what the first movie I actually think I saw in theaters without my family at least being in the same theater was? This is going to be really funny when I say it, but I'm almost positive it was the first Pokemon movie. Because I, I know for a fact that my mom dropped me and my friends off and then went to go see something else because she wasn't going to go and see, watch that. What year was that? 98. Yeah, before that, remember. there would like... They would they would go to the move like we'd go to the movies, but we would do the thing where we would our fr friends and I would sit separately, and the parents would sit somewhere else in the theater, but we were all still in the same theater. Oh no, we just got dropped off, and they were like, "Bye, have fun." I mean, I guess it really doesn't make that much of a difference, but. That's just something that I thought of. But yes, uh, sorry, Mom. I, I guarantee you Lion King was not it, and you were wrong about that. Because I could <laughs> at least name three other movies I saw in theaters before that. Uh, in a lot of ways, Beauty and the Beast is, if it's not the best animated movie Disney's ever done, it's in the top three. Oh, like, oh yeah, hands down. Like, when I did my ranking of all the Disney movies, when I three, four, and five were Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King, and I said, in, in all honesty, I could interchange all three of them, because I love all three of them for the same reasons, but I still gave the edge to Beauty and the Beast and put them over Aladdin and the Lion King, just because of the fact that it was the true Renaissance movie. Little Mermaid started the ball going, but Beauty and the Beast is the one that actually hit the home run. Yeah, it had beautiful animation. The songs were so fun, and I mean, what girl did not want that library? Name me one. There's your challenge. F <laughs> female listeners, if you didn't want I that mean, library, let Stockholm us know. Stockholm Syndrome aside, I would do it for the just <laughs> the library. 
Yes. Plus how they put back, they put human again back in there officially. Which I love that inclusion too, because the Broadway I think it does because it, and also it paces the movie better. It does. I agree. I absolutely agree. We didn't need the morning report song in The Lion King. That was the waste. That was the additional waste. But Beauty and the Beast adding human again was, was perfect. Plus, it it does the whole um, <clears throat> avert your expectations thing. The Beast is actually ugly and that the handsome hero is actually the villain. Nice plot twist. And who didn't love LeFou? Josh Gad is a treasure. Josh Gad did a great job as live-action LeFou. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast is fantastic. I love that movie, and I still consider it to be... I think, And you know what? Watch it today. It still holds up exceedingly well. It's not a few years ago. I agree. Did you ever see the meme where it was my favorite character in Beauty and the Beast is the... It's like it's like a side table, and he's standing there holding a baseball bat, and it's like my favorite character in Beauty and the Beast is the side table waiting to fuck up a villager with a bat in his hand. He's like on the other <laughs> side of the stairs or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's just waiting with a baseball bat in his hand. Do you also see the fan theory that in the B section of the castle is filled with broken furniture and those are all um, subjects that he murdered? No, but that's going to make me think twice the next time I see that. Well, this is Disney we're talking about, and Disney does hate you. So. That's true. I actually just heard the theory a couple of weeks ago in that Moana, she dies in the beginning of the movie, and the rest of the movie is Maui taking her to the afterlife and being her guide. I That's feel like gonna... there's a, there's a, this person died. Same thing with the Peter Pan is the kid yeah. the, beginning of the, the beginning of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter Pan is the angel of death for children. It makes that sense. one ripped me up a little bit when I heard that. Definitely makes sense though. Anyway, number two, Robin Hood, <laughs> Prince of Thieves. I prefer Men in Tights. I haven't like I haven't seen this since the nineties, so I should probably see it again soon. Also, where's the British accent, Kevin Costner? Well, you know, unlike most Robin Hoods, <laughs> I can speak with a British accent. That is probably my favorite thing about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is that Mel Brooks did a parody of it, and it was brilliant. So. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to say about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I've seen it once, and I know I wasn't impressed by it. So, whatever. But Christian Slater's in it. Yeah, he's Will Scarlet, right? Yep. My full name is Will Scarlet O'Hara. <laughs> So what, what part of Atlanta are you from? South Central? So what was the best movie of 1991? Or the top movie? Which I might have to agree. It was the best movie of 1991. Because it was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So when it comes to Terminator 2 Judgment Day, I have to say that it's it, it fits the top of a lot of lists. In a lot of ways, it's probably the greatest action movie ever made. It's... Definitely one of the best sequels ever made because it blows the original one out of the water. In in every respect, it blows the original one out of the water. 
It's better paced, has better action, has a better story all across the board. It also wraps up very nicely and never needed a sequel because it actually bookends. They they mess with the timeline when Rise of the Machines came out. But otherwise, Terminator 2 is like a perfect action movie. I know some people would say the best action movie of all time is Die Hard. And that is a good contender. But I would say Terminator 2 is the greatest action movie ever made. It's the best Arnold movie, at least. Well, yeah, but that competition isn't very fierce, to be perfectly fair. Because Arnold only has two types of movies. Cheesy comedies and action movies. So it's nice that he gets one that works really well. But, yes, Terminator 2. Very, very good movie. A couple other movies that came out in the year 1991. How about Bring Me Peter Pan? We have Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, and we get Hook. Glenn Close. That is a very fun movie. I think we all grew up with that movie, too, right? Bang a Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> so, did you guys have, like, that one, like, that small collection of movies that if there was, like, a school function going on or something where they were just going to put on a movie? Like, I remember, that's that's how I saw The NeverEnding Story and um, Homeward Bound, like, 12 times just in school alone. But Hook was another one. That was another, like, go-to movie. We need to put something on to occupy the kids because it's like, it's like a field day or a field trip, but we're not ready to go yet. So what are we going to do to entertain them? Ah, put on Hook. You know, wheel in the TV on the cart with the VCR and throw in Hook. That was a Mine big was one. Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah, that's a good one, too. <laughs> but I remember watching a lot of Hook in school. Like, elementary school. Like, a lot of Hook. I probably saw Hook more in school, like piece by piece, than I ever actually watched it on my own at home. I was always watching it at home. I don't think I ever saw it in school. But that that it's a classic. Um, we also, didn't have many movie days. The uh, JFK movie came out in 1991. The uh, very long, but it is good. Hot Shots came out in 1991. Oh, I saw a tweet from uh, uh, John Cryer saying, I think I need to get back <laughs> and uh, make Hot Shots part trace. Part trace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Naked Gun 2 and a Half, The Smell of Fear came out in 1991. Here you go. First one was always better, but they they always had good stuff. I always enjoyed Leslie Nielsen in comedic roles. He's like the best part of Airplane, too, because he's the straight-laced guy in the crazy comedy. Isn't that how he got the naked gun rolls in the first place? That was his first movie where he was in a, in a uh, comedy. It was Airplane. He was like a serious, like, Shakespearean-level actor before that. Right. The 1991 Cape Fear remake starring Robert De Niro, a Martin Scorsese film, came out in 1991. Which, of course, led inspiration to one of, if not the best episodes of The Simpsons. One of mine. Top two, at least. I can't, I can never pick. 
Also, the Adams Family movie in 1991. Remember that? Oh, uh, I wanted to be Wednesday. <laughs> Good old Wednesday Adams. I always, I love the the memes of Wednesday Adams that co- have come out since then. Where it's always the same thing, where it's just like, you know, here's here's other girls during summer, and then there's Wednesday, and she's just the, the goth girl just standing there. I really like the photos they've been doing of Christina Ricci um, dressed up as Morticia. They've been really cool. Oh, yes. Adam's Family movies were classic. Um, I love those. But I feel like the first one is still the best one. Yes, I agree, but I think I watched the second one more, if that makes sense. I think I get, like, the plots confused and mixed up between them all. <laughs> I know, because it's just the Adams family. In the family. first one, Uncle Fester is... Because Uncle Fester's getting married because they want... That's the way to get the money, second right? second one, when Uncle Fester gets married. The first one is when Uncle Fester comes home. It's like his homecoming. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Fester does stuff, and that drives the plot of the movie. <laughs> I, I swear both of the movies are just solely about him. Because I feel like they that was the only real plot point that ever really sticks out. And then MC Hammer did the song. Do what they want to do, say what they want to say, dance mm-hmm. how they want to dance, play how they want to play. Also, in 1991, we got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. And they turned that around right quick. They had to have been recording some of that at the same time, right? Or right immediately after they finished the one and they started the other. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Backdraft came out in 91. If you want you want an action movie with lots of fire in it. Kurt Russell movie. How about Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead? Oh, Classic. Absolute classic. That was my favorite movie. How about The Rocketeer? Remember The Rocketeer? I saw it, I mean, like 10 years ago for the first time. It's not that bad. No, but I think it was it was one of those movies that I think they, they wanted it to do better than it actually did. So. It's like old, old pulp comic book where he's he's fighting Nazis. It's World War Two and he's fighting Nazis. Point Break was 91. If you want a good... I am a CIA agent. Good old Keanu Reeves. Uh, speaking of Keanu Reeves, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out in 91. Not as good as the first one, I will say. Yeah, but Station. Okay, Here's something that I actually thought was a fever dream. Do you remember Rover Dangerfield? <laughs> the Rodney Dangerfield animated movie where he's a dog just doing Rodney Dangerfield comedy? Nope. Okay. I was convinced that was a fever dream, but apparently it was a real movie and it came out this year. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually really seen it, but... For, for the horror aficionados out there, we got the third Child's Play movie. And we got Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which was a lie, because that was absolutely not The Final Nightmare. No, no one to end with, like, there's a new guy in town. His name is Fred Krueger. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Johnny Depp is in that one, by the way. He's back. He's back. After he got killed in the first one. Speaking of Johnny Depp, should we just mention it now? While he's on he's on our minds. But uh he won. Zoomina. I mean Asterisk, he won, but <laughs> Amber Heard is now worth minus eight million dollars. Yes. <laughs> Yes, she is. Well, OnlyFans is out there. <laughs> so she can always do that. I Dan... mean, that's about all she's got, right? At this point, <laughs> she's good all... looking. <laughs> she's got her OnlyFans. At least it'll be easy to get her verified. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, Dan, this one's for you. In 1991, Suburban Commando came out. <laughs> for me... Yeah, because you like bad Hulk Hogan movies. I've seen zero of them, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like ragging on them. Yeah, Suburban. Isn't that the one with Christopher Lloyd? Yep, and The Undertaker is in there. Yes, movie. The Undertaker's like a random like hitman that comes and breaks into the house. Yeah, this is 1991 Undertaker, so he was still like new Undertaker. Wasn't, yeah. Barely The Undertaker. So Baby Undertaker. He was still was he still super ginger then, or did he dye his hair black? Uh, he was pretty dyed black pretty right away. Yeah, mean Mark Callis was very ginger. That's so, ginger. This is yeah. one of my favorite movie reviews of all time. It came from Roger Ebert. Everybody knows who Roger Ebert is. He said he was like, yeah. People sometimes ask me, do you ever get tired of going to the movies? He's like, nah, I love movies. So it's not really a job. It's really more like a lucky break. But I wasn't feeling lucky the day I went to go see Suburban Commando. By the time it was over, you know what? I was feeling pretty tired of going to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of my favorite movie reviews of all time. (laughs) I could say that about a couple of movies I've seen. Yes. Well, I think you've been fortunate enough to never have to suffer through a Hulk Hogan-starred movie. I don't think so. Yes, you I've seen some movies where he shows up in them. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Gremlins 2 and and freaking Muppets in Space. Ugh. Hey, we all know the best Hulk Hogan movie of all time is Rocky 3. Because he's barely in it. Thunderlips. He wasn't even Hulk Hogan yet when they made it. But by nope. the time it came out, he was. For you Jim Varney fans out there, Ernest Scared Stupid came out in October. of. That might be the best one. I'm not an Ernest fan. I really don't care for those movies, but that one's actually pretty good. If you have to watch an Ernest movie... They have an actual, genuinely, somewhat scary monster. So, there you go. Again, not the greatest choice in the world, but... You know, what? what is with some of this... Work, work with us here, people. We don't have a lot going on here. Hey there, booger butt. Uh, and then I'm just, oh, here we go. An American Tale, Fievel Goes West. That was I, I, grew, I grew up on those movies, so, yeah. Fievel we Goes have an West. Amber Alert. I just saw that too, yeah. Also, My Girl came out in 1991. 
Oh. Can't see with those glasses. Stop it! Don't you dare! Do not dare. <laughs> That's when I learned that Undertaker's was an actual that. job and not just a you wrestling to say gimmick. That without warning. <laughs> uh, now I'm laughing because I'm horrible. <laughs> yes, the Undertaker is an actual job. It's not just a gimmick in wrestling. <laughs> That hurts. We had a Star Trek movie in 1991. The Undiscovered Country. That would be the sixth Star Trek movie. So if you guys were really... That's when they make the the, uh, peace pact with the Klingons. Okay. I have no idea. (laughs) That's that's a Dan thing, not me. (laughs) And uh, the last movie we'll talk about is Father of the Bride. Also, oh, such a good movie. So good. I absolutely there's, adore that movie. There's a new remake happening. Did I, did I miss an, a movie in 1991 yeah. that you guys liked? Uh, just throw it out there in the comments. But I, I, We covered the main ones, the big ones, the important ones. Alright, we're not going to go nuts on video games in 1991, but two really major games came out this year that we need to talk about, Dan. Indeed. They are... Sonic the Hedgehog, and Super Mario World. Yeah, two of the most important video games ever released, period. So, for in gaming history, Sonic was Sega's answer to Mario to combat him because they wanted to appease to a more teenage crowd and thought that Sonic would do that because he was more of a cocky and arrogant character than Mario, who was considered much more wholesome at the time. Plus, it having him be fast showed off their blast processing. Yes, that was the whole the whole gimmick was blast processing. Now, Mario's been in some shit, but Sonic's been in more shit since then. Now, Mario's been in some shit, but he hasn't been in anything named Super Mario blank. That's been shit. That's true, yeah. Like, Mario's bad titles were usually like, spin-offs or PC ports or the CDI game or the educational games. But Sonic 06 on the Xbox 360 was bad. But he got off to a good start. The original Sonic games are classics. They introduced a lot of good characters. And Dan has recently seen both of the movies. And you said they're pretty good, right? Yes, they are. So there you go. But Super Mario World is still considered by many to be one of the greatest video games ever made, period. Some even say it's still the best Mario game ever released. Or at the very least, they consider it to be Mario's best 2D platformer, which is impressive. I actually see World come up more than three as a best ever game. And the main reason why I think that comes up is because it has the save feature. It, and it has Yoshi, and it has um, unique boss battles with the Koopa Kids, as opposed to just getting on the airships. Whether or not that's the case or not, I mean, I'm kind of just going off of things I've seen. Now, here's my favorite tidbit about Super Mario World. So, I'll start a new game, I'll play the first level, I'll beat it, and then the next stage is where you flip the switch. And that's where Shannon comes in. my favorite part. The only part I know how to do. <laughs> She'll flip the switch and she hands the controller back to me. Just literally goes to the Switch world. Uh, if, if I could play just the Switches, I, that's all I need. 
Well, that's four levels in the game. <laughs> Spread out. You know what you like about Mario World is that there are you go to an area and you earned the right to make all those invisible yellow blocks fill in, and now you don't have to fall in so many pits. Right. That's that's what's cool about it is once you know where all of those stages are, you flip all the switches, and then it you get access to parts in the game that you didn't have access to before. Things that would just automatically just kill you. It's just now a minor inconvenience. Yeah. Like, if you don't hit the yellow switch and you go to that one world in the very beginning of the game, you'll just fall to your death because if you do fall, you'll you'll catch all the yellow blocks and they basically prevent you from dying. If you didn't know about the switch, you're just screwed. So good luck. Uh, Mario World's still a classic. It's still a game that I go back and revisit every now and again. Like when I'm when I'm feeling that burst of nostalgia, I will choose Mario World more often than not. It, I think it's my favorite base for Mario Maker. Yeah, and, and yeah, and you have Mario Maker now, and you, and you now you know how addicting some of those fan made levels can be when you get to the fun ones. Yeah, Shannon knows how much time I've wasted on Super Mario Maker just looking for levels to play. I've wasted a lot of time watching you too. So. <laughs> but there's times where you don't have to do anything, and it's still amazing. Yeah, I still screw those up. I'm just. I always hit a button. You know what Mario Maker has taught me though that I will never, ever, ever be able to make a level that good. That's kind of like what happens when I look at those Animal Crossing islands that I see on Instagram. And they're like, hey, check out what I do with my island. I'm like, that's awesome. Mine will never look like that. It's because they mess with all the like the custom stuff, and I'm just like, nope. I can't, oh, I can't I love do it. Doing that. I, I got doing I got that. me a custom New Japan <laughs> pro wrestling uh, thing just so I can make it my flag, and I'm done. <laughs> I am almost full of my on my custom patterns. They gave like an extra what thirty. And, and, you, and you managed to fill enough. those up? It still wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not enough. We need more. <laughs> I mean, there is stuff, because, like, I, even I was hanging out with Chris on Chris's island the other day, and there were times where I would move to another area, and it would start lagging a little bit, because he has too much going on. He has so much stuff in that one area. And, right? and yet, my island... House. My island isn't even that bad, because Shannon's watched me go to some of those mystery islands, or the dream islands, oh. I mean... And the game can't handle anything because they're so no. full. No. Remember that one Harry Potter one that we did? That oh, one gave me a headache. That one was fun because I was walking into nothing and I couldn't walk any further. And then I was just slowly watching stuff pop up on the screen. <laughs> yeah, that one was loaded the entire time. It was annoying. I think I got a headache. I got a headache just thinking about it. All right, let's let's talk about some music that came out in '91. Dan, what were the top five songs of 1991? Number five was "One More Try" by Timmy T, and I have no idea what that is, so I'm yeah. going to click on it. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't even know who Timmy T is. Timmy Torres. Okay, good for him. Is he a one-hit wonder? Probably. I'm going to say Please. yes. Sounds somewhat not a memorable one. Yeah, I guess not. Number four, Paul Abdul with Rush Rush. Yeah, Paul Abdul was big in the early 90s. I was too young to be enraptured by her, so. 
former Lakers dancer. I was never a big American Idol guy, but she was the one thing about that show I really couldn't stand. Like, and everybody's like, oh, Seacrest, and Simon was mean, and and Randy had all his catchphrases. I'm like, no, it was Paula that was the problem, because she didn't know how to be mean to people. If somebody sucked, she wouldn't all of them. I actually like Simon Cowell. Like him now, 20 years in. (laughs) I like him on America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent. I'll 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 say that. Yeah, I like him now, 20 years into all this, that he's like, you know. Yeah. Anyway, number three is CNC Music Factory with Gonna Make You Sweat, also known as Everybody's Now. Ugh. Bump, 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 bump. Talk about stock music. Oh, man. Eh. That's a Jock Jam song, right? Yep, that's when they, they mix in with the Jock Jams. That's pretty much Jock how... Jock Jams, that brings me back. Yeah, right? Brings <laughs> you back to the to mid to late 90s. <laughs> yeah, like, what, 96, 97, or what, 97, 98, I think, right? Something Jock, like that. Jock Jams, I think, was mid-90s. Because it was definitely middle school, high, beginning of high school. Yeah, it was definitely when we were getting closer to being able to go to dances. I know it existed when Space Jam came out, and that was 96. So that that might be like the earliest we could possibly pinpoint it. That would be middle school age, though, for, for us. So yeah, yeah. that I think I think we we pretty much pinpointed it. See. And C Music Factory. Good God. Number two song of the year was Color Me Bad with I Wanna Sex You Up. That song is Well, color it bad, because I don't <laughs> I don't think it's a very good song, but <laughs> hey, just because you have a number one hit doesn't mean your song was good. No, it meant it was catchy for the week. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, number one was Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Oh, that one. Brian Adams, tie-in with the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack. Yes, that might actually be one of the best love songs ever written, period. Yes. That actually is an amazing song. I do really love that song. Good old Brian Adams, though. Now, now, the Canadian government has apologized for Brian Adams on several occasions. All right. So that's an interesting top five. So I'm going to quickly just go down the Billboard Top 100 year and find a couple of songs that I actually, like, know what they are and maybe actually liked them. But I do notice that Losing My Religion by R.E.M. came out this year. And I do really like that song. It's one of their one of their top hits, and don't sleep on the Lacuna Coil cover of that song too, because they do it in their own style. And that was like it... their resurgence for the nineties. Yeah, the monster album. Uh, do you remember "I Touch Myself" by the Divinals? Yes, I do. That was a ninety-one hit. It's it's another song that you're just like that was a thing. "Wind of Change" by the Scorpions came out this year. Oh, uh, there's no the. It's just scorpions. Whatever. Uh, Play That Funky Music by Vanilla Ice. If you want to go Oh, so Vanilla Ice was done by this point already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wouldn't 
Ninja Turtle rap would be out then because the Ninja Turtles 2 was out. Dude, all right, I'm already down to like, I'm almost at the end of the list and I just don't see anything that's even worth <laughs> talking about. Like, was 91 just a bad year for music? Holy uh, shit. It was. So. The early 90s was really bad transition for music until Nirvana came out. Yeah. Yeah, all right. That's the only music we're going to talk about because I just went through the whole hundred list. I'm like, <laughs> none of these songs are appealing. I, I named what three additional ones to what we talked about. We didn't even we didn't even know what Timmy T was. Timmy, 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 living alive. Ah, uh, references from a show you don't watch, Dan. But I know because it was free on Rock Band, so yeah. I know him and to me in the Lords of the Underworld. That was the first song I... No, 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 it wasn't. The first song I five-starred singing on Rock Band was Still Alive from Portal. But I did I did a really good job on Timmy and the Lords of the Underworld. Yeah, Neither one of you are South Park fans, but that's okay, because you don't have to be. All right, let's, let's have some fun and talk about some TV shows that debuted in the year 1991, because you've got a pretty nice little list here, Dan. And these are all shows that I think we all watched at some point. Dude. 1991 was the start of the show Home Improvement. I love that show. It was show. a favorite in our house. Yes, I love that show. We actually, a couple years ago, we did an entire series watch, right? We went all the we way. Did. All the yeah. way from the pilot to the finale. Eight mm-hmm. seasons. Really interesting show. Um, so that's about 200 episodes then. Yeah, yeah, most likely, because I think they were like 24 a season. Uh, Of course, you know, Tim Allen did base a lot of the show on his, like, being a man stand-up and everything. But one of the things that I always really liked about Home Improvement was that they could have very easily made Jill Taylor the standard housewife. But instead, they actually made her, like, a big feminist. She had a purpose. Yeah, she was competing in a house of all men. She, like... Get a doctorate, right? Yeah, she got a doctorate uh, yes, in psychology. She was a psychologist. Yeah, I was. I always thought she was one of the best, one of the best like wives of the '90s. If you're if you're going yes. back and looking at that, and she was a good female character. She was a good female role model. So I always really appreciated her. Uh, of course, the kids. You had Zachary Ty Bryan who played Brad, the oldest one. I know he's appeared in a bunch of B movies and. Has been kind of a bit player. Beginning of Tokyo Drift. Yeah, he appeared on an an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was in that awful. He was in one of those awful uh, wrestling movies. I think the one with the bar wrestling. One of them had the Black Power Ranger, and the other one had Brad Taylor from Home Improvement. Yeah, the one with the Black Power Ranger ends with them getting a contract to work FMW. Oh yeah, because you know that. Actually, Backyard I would... Backyard Dogs. Backyard Dogs is the name of that. I, I would actually believe that, considering how awful some of the backyard wrestling actually is. So... <laughs> yeah, but Yo, I, like, all three of the boys, they, like, work together now. They, like, have, like, a company or something, and they do something Which is together. cool, yeah. Well, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was the breakout star. He was all over <laughs> my wall. <laughs> right with Nick Carter? Right after. Right after and, and he was, and and was at the same time with all of my friends. So it wasn't just me. Him, Ryder Strong, um, the Lawrence brothers. They were cute. Joey and Matthew. Well, now here's the question, though. Are, are we still cool with JTT in 2022? Yeah. Well, he hasn't done anything in 
forever. Right. So, so left like, whereas, whereas Nick Carter can go fuck himself now, we still have Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yes, as far as, I mean, I don't know much about him now. Um, so, I mean, I think he just does the quiet life, but he was actually on a couple of episodes of um, Last Man Standing. Which That's is right. Tim Allen's show. It's like the mirror of home improvement because he has three daughters instead of three boys, and um, he works at an outdoor shop. And then he actually has Richard Kern on. Uh, what was the Patricia Richardson? Name? Yes, she's on, and she actually plays his next door neighbor, and um, she's obsessed with cars. She's obsessed with fixing things and tools. And her husband was always obsessed with more power. And um, her husband had passed away. And I think she had something to do with Jonathan Taylor Thomas when he was on the show. I think it was like her son or something. And he was kind of the boss of one of... Um, Tim Allen's daughters. He was on four. That was the last man standing, and one of them is a completely different character as the other three. I feel like I'm making up storylines in my head, but it's been forever <laughs> since I've seen that show. But yes, Home Improvement was amazing. We love that show in this house. That was also one of the shows that did the the cool thing of having the show within a show. Like that was the whole thing. Was his whole job was they made this cable access tool show sponsored by this tool company that he happened to work for and been for jewels and like tools. i mean i know pbs was or um the cable shows were really big to me at the time because like pbs and everything and all of the shows that i watched were all on pbs so like i got the the local cable company thing is really nostalgic like, right like this old house with bob vila who was Tim the Tool Man Taylor's rival. And Nam. Yeah. And of course, and of course you had Wilson the neighbor. You only ever saw the top of his head. Or if you didn't, you'd only see the bottom. He he always had part of his face cut. Like at the Halloween party, he was the Phantom of the Opera, so he had the mask on. And this part where they get inside the house, but he has like that, the, uh, they're in the There's kitchen. Something positioned. The, the, yeah, the like the he has like the hanging up pots and pans. <laughs> yep, so the like, pots and pans would be in the way. <laughs> I always love the way that they did that stuff. Because that's one of those jokes that could get really old really fast. You have to be clever to keep the face hidden. So good on him. It only goes so far that he's on the he's on the other side of the fence, you know? Uh so I would say my favorite episode of Home Improvement is the one where Jill convinces Tim to get a vasectomy. Because every joke is hysterical because it's all, it's all obvious innuendo jokes. Like, how am I supposed to talk to a woman doctor about what's going on in Manland? And she's like, what, you got a theme park between your legs now? <laughs> that's, that's one with a lot of really good one-liners in it. Um, also has one of the best exchanges between Tim and Wilson because, you know, how it, there's usually some funny stuff going on. This is one of those ones where they talk for a really long time without the audience laugh track. Because it's all Wilson, you know, explaining to Tim what it really means to be a man. And how he's like, well, do I get a vasectomy? He's like, well, I can't tell you what to do. But, you know, you got to think about your commitment to your wife and your family and all this other stuff. And I always really appreciated that, too. Because 
a lot of these funny sitcoms, I don't think get enough credit when they do something serious and do a good job with it, right? One of the ones I think of is when she has to get a hysterectomy. Right, or when they think Randy might have cancer. Like, they do those heavy episodes, and they're really good. And credit where credit is due on making the show that that entertaining. Also, one of my favorite uh, (laughs) improvement moments is when he has Drew Carey on as a guest star. And he's just some random sanitation worker that they picked up off the street to interview. Cause... Oh, dude, yeah, all the all the uh, like comedian friends of his that like had bit parts is like showing up on the show and stuff. My yeah. thing, he's just like, I'm just a guy that picks up dead animals off the side of the road. And then at the end, he's like, Hey, I want to thank you for letting me come on your show. And he hands him like a brown paper bag. And goes, I got you a little gift <laughs> to thank you. <laughs> Home Improvement was a classic. That was a that was a really good show. Uh, my favorite joke I think they ever did, though, was the Halloween episode when Randy answers the door. And there's two kids. One's dressed like Buzz Lightyear and the other Simba. And he goes, a piece of candy for the spaceman <laughs> and eight pieces of candy for the cute lion. <laughs> what about the, uh, what, the episode where the snake gets into the intercom system? Oh. <laughs> Shannon That's doesn't do snakes. Traumatic. Traumatic. Dad, there's a snake right behind you. Oh, I bet there is. And he, like, opens up his shirt. <laughs> and the snake crawls in. <laughs> or the one with the owl. Where he's trying to terrorize the owl to stop pecking at his house. What do we need? More power. That was another thing, too. You can run out of ways to, to make him accident-prone and do all the all the physical comedy and everything. But they still manage to find ways to be funny. He launched a barbecue into orbit. <laughs> so credit where credit there. Home Improvement was a great show. What else we got, Dan? We have the debut of Ren and Stimpy. That's right. So we, we talked about how like Doug Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy all had this block together, right? And I know we're going to talk about Doug as well. So <clears throat> back then, Ren and Stimpy was my jam and it had the gross out humor and everything. Rugrats became the phenomenon, right? With the Nicktoons, like it was one of until SpongeBob came along, Rugrats was the Nicktoon. But I think Doug was the best out of all three of them. Doug was the best. Doug tackled. Doug was the most easily relatable show. Like, yes, we talked about how, like, yeah, Tommy was the Doctor, and if you put the Doctor Who references in and everything, um, the thing is, I don't think Ren and Stimpy aged well. It did not. Because now, when you go back and you watch it. The only really funny things I remember coming out of Ren and Stimpy now was, like, the Happy Happy Joy Joy song, Don't Whiz on the Electric Fence, and then the other stuff that had nothing to do with them, like The Log and Powdered Toast Man, which had nothing to do with Ren and Stimpy. But other than that, it was usually just gross-out humor and just weird general weirdness. And, like, the art style was cool and influential, but I can't go back and watch Ren and Stimpy now and really be enthralled by it. But I'm doing a rewatch of Doug from the beginning, and I'm still very entertained by it. Because I think it's it's surprising how good of a job they do on that kind of a show, considering the source material they're working with. Now, I'm not going to say that Doug was the best Nicktoon. I still think that honor goes to Hey Arnold, which I think was a better show than Doug. But... Like, Hey Arnold is like the natural progression of Doug. Yeah. Even though the kids are technically younger in age, it's just... Hey Arnold was a very good straight-laced down-to-earth show that still managed to be entertaining and funny. 
And Doug was a lot of that, too. Doug was a pretty down-to-earth show, too. Granted, he has the issues where he daydreams a lot, and he's probably going to get hit by a truck one of these days. And everybody in the town looks like they survived a nuclear test, because they're all different colors. But again, it's kind of like The Simpsons. You turn on Doug, you see all these multicolored people, you're going to stop and pay attention, right? Yeah, it's like what I said. It's like the first thing is, at first it was, ooh, what's this with the weird colored people? And then it became, oh, that's weird colored people. That must be, I'll stop and watch that. Yeah, that's Doug. And that's one of Billy West's first roles. Yeah, um, I think Doug is really good. Even the first episode is to deal with, like, a, a personal crisis. It's like, because when they cross the Buffington town line, the number goes up to whatever in one. And he's like, and I'm the one. And what the fuck does that mean? And, <laughs> but that's and also relatable, too. Because, deal with that. Because if you've ever been the new kid moving into a new town and having to make all new friends, like, that can be difficult for people. Which happened to me all the time because my father was in the Navy. <laughs> right. So, good relatable stuff right there. So, Doug and Ren and Stimpy are, are not close to being the same thing at this point. I, I will say that back then, yes, Ren and Stimpy was definitely the better choice because it was the edgier show. It had the adult humor. It had all that stuff that they wanted. But it didn't age well, whereas Doug, you can still go back and watch Doug today, and you can still relate to it. You can still understand the stories that are going on. Even if it is the early 90s and there are no cell phones, you know, like, you can still understand everything that's happening. Plus, Also, it... Ren and Stimpy died because TV ratings became a thing and they realized that this show doesn't belong on Nickelodeon. So they moved it to MTV, made it a fully adult show, and then it died very quickly after that. Because nobody wanted Ren and Stimpy to be gay. And that was the very first thing they did was they made them gay. All right. How about another show, Dan? All right. You like your animatronics? I do. Because there was a show called Dinosaurs. Watch the hell out of Dinosaurs when that show was around. That was the one with the um, the baby, right? That said not, not the mama. mama. Uh, oh, yeah. I loved that one, that show. That's another one of those things that I don't think aged as well, because I loved Baby Sinclair, and now if I go back and watch Dinosaurs, I'm like, I hate this fucking kid. Because <laughs> he never got to evolve. It was always just not the mama. Yeah, he was just an obnoxious little kid. And he wasn't even theirs. They did an episode about that. They revealed that eggs got switched in the hospital, and he was supposed to, because he's a pink dinosaur and they're all green, and they realize he should have gone with a different family, but then they eventually adopt him anyway, because... They've come to love him, which is a good message, but still, screw that character. I do remember the music video. I'm the baby, gotta love me. Yeah, dinosaurs. I saw, I'm trying to remember who did the review. I don't remember if it was James Rolfe or if it was Doug Walker, the nostalgia critic. But somebody did a retrospect on dinosaurs and they pointed out that even though they were animatronics and puppeteered and everything... They did a really good job putting emotion on the faces. Yes. Which was something that you couldn't even say for, like, the Muppets. You know what I mean? So, I, I give a lot of credit there. And it was a very entertaining show. It was pretty clever. Also, has one of the darkest series finales of all time. It had, it had a... It, when the show, it came time for the show to end, whether it got canceled or it was time, you have a built-in way to end the show. 
the dinosaurs go extinct. Yeah, they cre a nuclear winter kills all the dinosaurs. What a great way to end the series. They all freeze to death. That is... I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah, that was the series finale, is everybody dies at the end. I thought the series finale was when they had to walk off the edge of the earth because they thought it was flat. No. No, that would have been a good a good finale, too. No, the series finale ends with Earl's company causing a nuclear holocaust that kills all the dinosaurs. Well, you have to have someone to blame it on, right? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Can't just blame it on the rock. The tree, the, 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 the tree moving company. Yeah. Uh, dark anyway, finale. Yeah. Speaking of dark, we got uh, dark wing. Dark. Let's get dangerous. Coming back, by the and way. There's trouble called DW. Darkwing Duck was a really good show that I think was almost a victim of its own timing, right? Because. It was already surpassed by DuckTales and Rescue Rangers. I almost feel like if Darkwing Duck came out first, it would have been the showcase show. But, I don't know. I remember it, it was a very good show. It was very entertaining. It had a lot of clever characters and villains and everything. Yeah, the bad guy group was called Fowl, for crying out loud. That's yes. hilarious. They are all waterfowl. <laughs> <laughs> that was also really cool with the with the new DuckTales cartoon when they did the, the full-on reboot is they brought Darkwing Duck in. And how they did it was really clever, too. That Darkwing Duck was an in-universe TV show played by an actor, but then the actor goes insane and somebody actually takes up the role of Darkwing Duck in real life to be a real-life crime fighter and it's brought into the real world. And, of course, the mega fan is Launchpad. Because of course it is. But yes. He's the crossover character between the two shows. Yep. Back in the day. But, uh, I mean, the new DuckTales was really good because it incorporated villains from Tailspin, Rescue Rangers, and also Darkwing Duck. So it, it tied in a lot of the Disney afternoon together. But Darkwing Duck was a really Look. good show, and I'm excited to see what they do for a new version of it. Because they did such a great job with the DuckTales reboot, and then that Rescue Rangers movie was so much fun. So, yeah, they, they can't go anywhere but up with that. Back to TGIF, it's the, the more modern version of, uh, of uh, Brady Bunch. It's Step by Step. Oh, I loved that show. I watch Step by Step, but I can't tell you really anything about it in these days. I think a couple of years ago, you had it on, and all I heard was the roller coaster, <laughs> and I it was like instant flashbacks, <laughs> and I was like right there. It was like, oh my god, I know exactly what this is. It, all I heard was the roller coaster. <laughs> Second time around. <laughs> <laughs> that song is a classic. That should have been on the charts. Oh man! Which, if you play, if you play that song and the one Billy Gunn's theme song at the same time, they they mix together. 
Wait, you mean like the one Billy Gun or you don't or the Ass Man song? No, it was the one Billy Gun. Okay. Yeah. Eh. I got it all. I know. Eh. I I I prefer Ass Man, which is as terrible. <laughs> but doesn't fit with the step by step theme song. Yeah. Well, out of context for anybody who doesn't know wrestling, that all I just said was I prefer Ass Man, and every. Anybody who doesn't know wrestling is now confused as hell, and I think we should leave it that way. The Ass Boys. It's funnier out of context. No, it's not. (laughs) Back to Nickelodeon, we got Clarissa Explains It All. Melissa Joan Hart's breakout role. That was a really good show. I watched the hell out of that show. I actually just started rewatching it because it's on the Paramount Plus. And so, of course, the very first thing I'm saying to myself as I'm watching this is I remember she always picked on her brother, Ferguson, the little dweeb, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. and then in the first episode, you're watching it and he's actually being like a regular normal kid and she's just being really mean to him. And I'm like, so Clarissa's is just a bitch. There's no reason for her to be mean to her brother. And then as the episode goes on, you realize what a cocky little arrogant asshole he is. You're like, oh, never mind. He friggin' deserves it. This little ginger asshole (laughs) deserves it. Uh, One of my friends raised an interesting question about her friend, Sam. Yes. Who always comes to the window with a ladder and climbs in. Yes. Is that his ladder? That he's bringing with him? Or is it the family's ladder that he's like pulling out of the shed every single time? I figure the ladder's just always there laying next to that part of the house. That's what I thought. And he just picks it up and puts it up. (laughs) But I never actually thought about that before. And now I have questions. Also, I forgot the family's last name was Darling. Because that's the last name of the family in Peter Pan. Yeah. Wendy Darling, and John and Michael Darling. So now it's Clarissa Darling, and Ferguson Darling, and Janet and Marshall, if you want to talk about the mom and the dad, who are your standard early 90s teenage sitcom parents, in that they're kind of useless. the teenager is the main character. Yeah. This kind of parent should be. I also love, in the first episode, she pulls up this relatively detailed computer simulation of how she's going to get her brother. And I'm like, yeah, Microsoft DOS did not look that good in 91. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't even think Commodore 64 ever looked that good. But if it wasn't for Clarissa, we might not have Sabrina. I didn't watch much of Clarissa. Sabrina, however, every Friday night... I was glued to my yeah, TV screen. That got thrown into TGIF as well at that point. Yeah. Well, TGIF was just... That was a knockout lineup, so... It didn't seem to not matter what shows were, what four shows were in it. Uh, there is an untitled Clarissa Explains It All reboot in which Melissa Joan Hart would be reprising her role as Clarissa Darling, which my assumption would be is now she's got a family of her own and now she's got to deal with the teenagers in the modern era. 
which would be very interesting if they do it that way. So if you're a Melissa Joan Hart fan, this is the show you can thank for that. Also, if you're really into 90s fashion, just pick a Clarissa outfit. Because that's like a thing. Is she always had like a full-on 90s wardrobe going on. Speaking of Nickelodeon, Dan. Yeah, man. One of my favorite shows was the live-action variety on Nickelodeon was Salute Your Shorts. We just watched the first episode of that the other day. Oh my gosh, I used to love that show. They run and jump and swim and play. We row and go on trips. It's I hope we never last forever are our dear friendships. So I talked about how uh, Danny Cooksey as Bobby Budnick was the only actual child cast member on Tiny Toon Adventures when he voiced Montana Max. Because everybody else was an adult. Also, he was Stoop Kid on Hey Arnold. And and for early 90s, late 80s uh, animation, it was mostly the people that were in, doing it in the 60s. So we're talking like 70 and 80 year olds. <laughs> yes, right. In there with them. <clears throat> Remember Donkey Lips? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Sponge, Donkey Lips, and Bobby Budnick were the main the main guys and then uh kirk bailey r.i.p was ug he was like the main camp counselor and then you had the girls who weren't really as memorable characters really which is unfortunate but salute your shorts is a relatively easy watch if you're going to watch it it only ran for 26 episodes so it's a good one to just kind of go back and revisit for that nostalgia factor. But for what it was, it was very entertaining. And some of the some of the kids didn't really do much after they uh they left that show if you actually look up their credits. Early Nickelodeon stars um they didn't really do anything. The only time I think it really started where these child celebrities on TV shows really started was, like, the Disney Channel. Yeah. Because that's when they started launching everyone into mainstream media. I mean, I guess aside from the latest Mickey Mouse Club, because most of them were all pop stars. This is this is the 90s where Disney Channel became a big deal, but it was still a... Super premium channel along the likes of an HBO. Yes. I remember you had to, like, specially order it from the cable company. (laughs) So the next show, apparently Chris never heard of. But it was a big thing for me back then. And it was the Red Green Show. It was a show made in Canada. And it was about, uh, uh, like, a handyman who uh, does things in the, what are they, what is it now, like, redneck genius stuff? Uh, So, it's, but, I love it. You should watch it. I'm sure you would enjoy it. Yeah, I've Um, never heard of that one before. I've, I've used it as an example about shows where they talk about characters and they never show them. This show is a big one of the. This show 
doesn't really show you much. It's all like him talking out things that happened. And it's just so funny. And then there's like adventures with Bill and it's like he's going to go hang out with his friend Bill and crazy things happen in that. And then he like every episode he has like a a, a big thing he does for like a you know, oh I had an idea for making a a, a sleigh ride but since like I don't have any horses I'm going to use a K car. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the thing is, some of those Canadian shows could be very funny. It's just, I've just never heard of this one before. I loved it. It was, yeah, it was on, it was on Canada, and then eventually they, like, sold it to PBS stations in the States. And Syracuse was one of the big ones. Well, that, that's not, that's that, not that fair. You lived a lot closer to Canada than I did. <laughs> I used to take Weekend trips to Canada. Wasn't that far. Alright. Well, if you say it's good, I'm sure I'd enjoy something from it. Of course, the last show was the PBS, again, game show version of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. That show was my jam. I loved that show, and now they've never released it to home market because by the time a lot of those episodes aired, there was already geographical inconsistency. Yeah, they had to put disclaimers on the on the credits and say that that everything was factual at the time they recorded. Which is great that that was even a thing. Uh, remember the 90s there was major things in like the Congo area in specific yeah I mean mean, Yugoslavia broke up while the show was happening so country lines were constantly being changed also Czechoslovakia Czech Republic and Slovakia two separate countries I mean, hell, I only learned. I know. I know it's a couple of years old now, but I know it was. It was still very recent when that Sudan actually split into two nations. And I remember just looking at a world map and seeing that, and being like, I don't even know when this happened. Because it was. It was. Re, it was recently, like within the last ten years. But I remember pulling up a world map and being. And I think we were actually having a conversation about Carmen San Diego when I may have even pulled the world map up. Because there was a time when I could identify every nation in Africa, and now I don't even have a prayer. If you give me a blank map of Africa, I can probably do okay if I also have a list of all the nations to fill in. Other (laughs) than that, um, if I'm going blank, I mean, I can give you South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Ethiopia, Somalia, Tanzania, Egypt, most of the northern nations, Mali... And then things will start getting a little hazy, especially around the central area. (laughs) So, I used to know my Africa geography, and this was the reason why. And I remember how frustrated I would get watching that final section, where the kids would run and bring the flags to the maps, because that would have been where I would have been an ace. I would have gotten every one of them correct. I had to get there, though, so I had to answer all the other questions along the way, but... So, my family loved this show so much. It was on at the same time as the news local news so we actually we enjoyed it so much we watched this show live and taped the news that's a shame you didn't tape the show because then you could have had had memories of it 
And you got, of course, we got Rockapella. Yup. Which I still have their cassette album. Nice. It's still, it's still here. I have no way to play it, but I still got it. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get that shit on vinyl. I can only imagine what that is. But do you also remember, like, I can actually pull up the the cast list here of all the celebrities who made cameos on here, including... Yeah, as the Colin characters and yeah, stuff. Colin Jim, with a clue, or it would be like a voiceover of one of the bad guys. So they had Joey Lawrence, Mark Summers, Maury Povit, Christina Ricci, Neil Patrick Harris, LeVar Burton, James Avery. It's just a list of them so far. There was even more. George Michael... Mr. Rogers, Mayim Bialik, Gene Wilder, Lou Ferrigno. Like, oh, we have a, we have a special call-in from a from a uh, yeah, like a Acme agent in the field. Doctor Dre. It would be one of these people. Joe Biden, the Blue Man Group. <laughs> like all of these people were on the show. Al Roker. How did the Blue Man Group do? I don't even know. <laughs> But they were. They must have been like outside with Rockapella and did a little sketch that led to a question. Dennis Miller. Nobody would have understood that one. So the funny thing is, I watched a little documentary like a couple months ago on it, and they would talk about how there was times where they would be like, "And in the next segment, Rockapella is going to do a little sketch that ends with this question," and they'd be like, "Cool, we have five minutes to make up that sketch." <laughs> like we're singers, we're not actors. Good luck, boys. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, last thing we're going to talk about in the year nineteen ninety one, Dan. What were some of the top Christmas gifts that year? Well, we had the Sega Game Gear, and of course, the Game Boy was still great. But we had the birth of an well. It was a movement. It was a moment. It was the beginning of the Super Soaker craze with the Super Soaker 50. I think everybody owned Same. a Super Soaker at one point. The issue, issue was, I grew up in central New York, getting a squirt gun in the middle of winter <laughs> yeah, that's you can't not really bad. play with until mid-May. If you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, good Christmas gifts. All right. So our tribute to 1991 has concluded. We'll be back with 1992. I actually have a couple of things from 1991 that you guys didn't mention. Um, One, I think one of the toys that I had in 1991, which was a really big thing, was the Michelle doll from Full House. She had her own doll. Because that's how huge the Olsen twins were at the age of five. But that was a really fun thing. Um, Also, I am really big into the British monarchy, as we can touch on later. Um, But so um, just this fall... There was a movie came that came out called Spencer about Princess Diana. Kristen Stewart was in it. I think she actually got an Oscar nomination for it. 
And it was well, well, well deserved. She was amazing in that movie. She, I was, I thought I was looking at Diana for most of it. Um, but that actually was placed, um, based on the Christmas that they spent at Sandringham in 1991. So that's kind of cool. That's actually pretty interesting. So yeah, I had no knowledge of a Michelle doll. I 100% believe that that was a thing. Well, um, the Olsen twins are only like two months younger than me, three months younger than me. So um, if the Olsen twins had it at that point, I was all over it. I like their sister a lot. Oh, yes, me too. (laughs) Who doesn't? I, if I'm going to pick an Olsen, it's not going to be a twin. No. No. Especially <clears throat> after the last movie that was phenomenal. Which I know you were a big fan of. I absolutely adored um, Doctor Strange and the multiverse. I was kind of... I'm not a big Doctor Strange fan, so I was kind of worried about it. And I was, I had heard that it was going to be horror, and I'm not big onto that. But it was, I actually have gone to see it a, a few times. So it was a really good movie. Oh. I'll be seeing it on the 22nd when it hit Disney Plus. <laughs> well, you are going to, you're in for a treat. Well, I'm a Sam Raimi fan, so I'm already in, I'm already several levels of in. Well, yeah, it's it's got a lot of good Sam Raimi goodness behind it. Um, I'll, I'll be looking for all the touchstones. Oh, you'll know. You'll know him when you see him. <laughs> I know you will. All right. So we have a little under a half hour left to go in the episode. So, Shannon, why don't you go ahead and tell the world how Taylor Swift is upsetting you today? Oh, wow. That actually makes it sound terrible. Wow. Okay. Well, explain why being a Taylor Swift fan is difficult. Well, one, I mean, we're all crazy, so there's that. Um, but so there's there's been a lot going on, but at the same time, not a lot going on. Excuse my pun there. Um, if you know, you know. Um, but. Like, um, we've had a couple of, like, we have um, Carolina coming out um, sometime soon. It's based off of the book Where the Crawdads Sing. I don't know if either of you have read that. I have not read it yet. Um, I know bookstores were selling out of it the second Taylor announced that she wrote a song for it. So, have either of you read the book? No. I think I've even heard of it. Where the Crawdads Sing? Yeah. No. Look it up. I mean, I've heard of it. I've actually never read it, but she wrote a song, um, and I believe Aaron Dessner produced it. Um, Aaron Dessner and Taylor uh, together, that is a very, very dangerous combination. Every snippet she keeps leaking it sounds more and more haunting, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle that. So I'm kind of nervous. 
So she's got an issue with uh, trolling her fans. Is that correct? Yes. She likes to place Easter eggs, um, which is basically... Um, sorry, this Amber Alert is throwing me off track. Anyone in Pennsylvania sees a silver Suzuki, let the cops know, please. Um, um, so she drops these Easter eggs. It's basically hints, except we take it a little too far, I think. And, uh, mostly like these hints are like blown completely out of proportion. There are several dates where this entire fandom was convinced something was going to come and we weren't going to, and we ended up getting nothing. The last big one was May 13th. Cause it was a Friday the 13th. There was a ton of different Easter eggs that people picked out from absolutely nowhere. Um, but everyone was really excited. Um, Taylor had just released her version of This Love the week before, so everyone thought maybe a 1989 announcement was going to come. Um, but we didn't get anything. We did get a Taylor Nation countdown for something happening in an hour. So for that hour, everyone was going bonkers. And it turned out to be a merch drop. Not just any merch drop. It's literally the sixth merch drop this year alone. This calendar year since January. And their shipping is really behind Taylor Nation. Their merch is... It's really just getting really bad and really ugly. And they're basically... um I think uh, Kate had told me someone said on Reddit that <laughs> Taylor hasn't toured since like 2019 and that was most of her revenue. So maybe that's where all these merch drops are coming from and everything's getting like more and more expensive. Like I think the original cardigan was like $45. I think that's what Kate said she paid. And then I got the red cardigan when um she dropped red and that was $65 and I didn't get I ordered it in November I got it at the end of January so there's been a lot of that was a big disappointment plus there is a lot going on in the world right now um most well mostly in the country with Roe v Wade right now and um Taylor made a whole documentary on how she wanted in Miss Americana, she highlighted a lot on how she was getting kind of like her political views out there and letting the world know that, hey, I can like pink and talk politics, like her words. Like, and there's a lot going on, like with Roe v. Wade, there's been the shooting. She did make a post about, um, the last one in Texas, but there's been a lot that she's been quiet on and people aren't understanding because she wrote a song for Miss Americana called Only the Young and it's basically about 
children, like, well, not children, but, like, teenagers coming into, like, their own and, you know, having to deal with shooting drills and things like that and how they're going to be able to change the world. And there was a lot of Miss Americana. This is when she first came out politically and let you know um, it was touching on the lover era. And during the lover era, you had you need to calm down, which is if you I think you've showed um, that on one of your podcasts, didn't you? I think we watched that on one of our patron exclusive when we were doing the music video watch alongs. I believe we did. So like, it's very, um, there's a lot of, uh, gay stars in there. There's, um, Ellen DeGeneres. Um, I am totally blanking on everybody, but let me ask you this. So like, one of the main reasons why we don't do politics on this show is just because I, A, I don't think it's a fun topic, and B, I don't want to cost us, like, listeners or sponsors or anything like that, by because I, and I also feel like there's enough of that stuff out there. Do you think that her coming out politically is costing her any fans? A lot of fans are really angry that she's not coming out and saying things about like certain things that are going on because she did make such a big deal in Miss Americana about being able to voice her opinion. And there's a lot that she can really be voicing her opinion on. I mean, there was a petition even, or not a petition, but like, celebrities signed something if they were if they were um against the overturning of Roe versus Wade and her name was not even on the list. So that like people are just like kind of angry that she's staying quiet. It really feels like she's showing her privilege at this point. Um in that respect. But um so yeah, I know a lot of even like Swifties that aren't even in the country in America, they're angry about it. So this is something that a lot of people are like, we need you to say something. So let's, you're very good at like... Is there a possibility that she's just busy? (laughs) Like... Well, she did say something about the school shooting. I mean, (laughs) so she's I'm sure she's very busy. She has a lot going on. She has re-recordings to do. She just got her honorary doctorate. There's a lot going on um, that she's got to do. So I know she's very busy. But I mean, but at the same time, did... I can I can go to the bathroom right now, sit down on the toilet. And I have more than enough time to tweet something. Exactly, exactly. So unless she's just some magical human being who never poops. And we know that she is watching, like, our TikToks and everything. So if she has time to scroll TikTok, she's got time to write a tweet. What do you think is next for Taylor Swift? As far as, like, what she's going to be releasing? Um, so... Right now, I think it could be anything. Um, 
we have um, two lawsuits going on. There is the lawsuit for Shake It Off, a trademark lawsuit, and then also a trademark lawsuit for Speak Now. I think it's very funny the timing of these lawsuits coming up and the fact that Taylor keeps her team keeps like appealing these lawsuits and trying to like push them away and get the judge to like just I don't know what they do to put legally to put an end to it but um trying to get them to like push it under the rug and they're not able to and I feel like these are places like the one for speak now it's I believe um a Swedish company, I think, they have, like, um, remotes or something. Uh, the feature they call is Speak Now. So that's what the trademark issue is for that. I mean, these are really, like, petty. I, I don't, I'm sure they're not petty to the people who are fighting them. So that's probably a bad choice. But they're very, like, I feel like they could be easily just settled out of court. But they're not, and I feel like they've got someone behind them with money who would want nothing more than to stop these re-recordings from happening. Because ever since she started her re-recordings, her masters have basically become worthless. They are losing money off of these these masters now because of the re-recordings that she's done. And she's already done two albums of re-recordings. We have Fearless and Red. So um, I feel like there's a... Um, I feel like Scoot Scoot is behind this because he's pissed that he's losing money when he was supposed to be making it off of her. Um so that's a queen move right there. But there's a lot going that could be coming up. I mean, she's been dropping eggs for 1989 and Speak Now and Debut even. Um, the only one that she we know for a fact is not coming is Reputation because she cannot legally start re-recording that until November of this year, which kind of sucks because right now don't blame me is all of a sudden charting it's within it's cracked the top 100 and this song was released in like 2018 so on um, the last time she got a song to chart out of nowhere it was wildest dreams and she dropped the single for that for us like that week so that was um really cool but i I know we're not going to get Don't Blame Me anytime soon, but. Okay. Um, <laughs> Dan, you have any follow-up questions? No, it just it sounds like the thing I, I just learned about a day or two ago, that somebody is just now suing Mariah Carey over All I Want for Christmas is You, claiming that they wrote it in 89, and the song came out in 94. And they're suing in 2022. Yeah, it's always that's always weird to me, but it's also a reason why I'm not a lawyer. I don't have to deal with any of this crap. <laughs> it's just like, what part of it being the most played song for the last 27 years did you miss? 
Um, so I had another question going back to what you said earlier when you mentioned Spencer and that Kristen Stewart got an Oscar nomination out of that. I know that you're a really big Twilight fan. Do you think that the whole Kristen Stewart being a bad actress thing was more from a lack of direction? Because, like, Dan and I being Star Wars fans, we'll watch the prequels with Hayden Christensen... And we know Hayden Christensen's a good actor, but he's delivering these wooden lines, and he's not doing it very well. But if the director says it's fine, how much of that can you really blame on the actor? If the actor gives a take like that, and the director's like, that's perfect, that's what I wanted, you can't really necessarily blame the actor. So do you think that there was maybe a lack of direction when she was doing the Bella Swan stuff, as opposed to what she can do now in other movies? No, no, I know, I know what you're saying with that, but yeah, um, Kristen Stewart actually said in an interview pretty recently, um, at the time, you have to remember, they thought it was just going to be an indie movie. They didn't think anybody was actually going to watch this movie or that there would even be a sequel. So I think a lot of it was just, I mean, put on your A game for something that no one's going to see kind of thing. Um, like, you know, in Big Bang Theory, when Penny's doing, um, this, the movie, what's the movie that called? Serial Apis 2. Yeah. Monkey, monkey see, monkey kills. Yes. When she's doing that, like, Kaylee or, um, Penny's like, oh, I've got to make it work. But the director's just like, I don't care. I think that it might have been like that across the board from, everything from the acting, directing, everything. They were just like, who's going to see this? Why are we putting effort into it? Also, like, it's it been, might have been like over 10 years since then. You can become a better actor. Oh, yeah. Time. I mean, yeah. I mean, Just look at the things that Robert Pattinson has done. Everyone the thought Batman? that he was... <laughs> the like, Batman? Uh, yes, uh, Batman. I mean... Light, uh, whatever, the lighthouse movie, what was it called? The Lighthouse? <laughs> I film. have never been so excited for a Batman before, but yes. And he did a like, really good yeah. job in that, too. Like, really He's really good. He did amazing in that movie. Well, that's, that goes back to what we were saying. Like, and, I, and I've heard a lot of these people say this before. Like, We know Hayden Christensen's a good actor. I, I, we know Natalie Portman's a great actress. But if you're delivering a line that you don't really feel that comfortable with, they're doing a force. All those relationship scenes are the worst scenes in all of Star Wars. Yeah, there was no there was no real chemistry there. It was all forced. But at the same time, watch any of Hayden's scenes when he's not actually speaking any words. Look at the scenes when he's just working with you and McGregor when they're having the lightsaber battle. There's pure hatred on his face. All his visual acting is phenomenal. Take away all the wooden dialogue and the the weird lines, and and then he gets to go is gets to culminate it with "I hate you," which was awful. But and then of course the no, <laughs> which wasn't even really him. That was James Earl Jones. But yeah, no, I <clears throat> I, I think that's a big thing though. If and that Big Bang Theory was a good reference too, because Leonard goes to watch Penny on the set. She's doing a scene with Will Wheaton. And as soon as they start shooting the scene, he looks over at the director. The director's on his phone. He's just playing with his phone. 
Yeah, he's not even paying attention. Yeah, and he just goes, and Yeah, that's going to work. And she even says, like, can we do that again? I think I can do it better. And he goes, well, let's move on. No one cares. Yeah, and that's just it. If the director doesn't care, then... And I, I feel like every actor has probably been through something like that before, where they've they've done a project that didn't excite them, and they just kind of wanted to get it done so they could make their revenue to go on and do something else. I mean, I, I think there have been entire articles done on Cracked that talk about that too. Like actually, actors I hate... read one today. Yeah, actors who hated <laughs> their work, right? They're like, I took that job purely for the money. Yep. And there's ones where, like, you've got to do this shitty, canned Hollywood movie so you can make the more artsy one that you want later. Yeah, pretty much. Hey, Jennifer Aniston did Leprechaun, and that was awful. I know someone's going to get mad when I mention that, but that was a bad movie. Get over it. That movie traumatized me. I was, I remember I saw part of that movie and I was about to walk home. I lived two doors down. And I cried the entire way because I'd just seen part of that movie. It was also dark. <laughs> you were afraid the leprechaun was in the alleyway? You didn't steal um, his yeah, gold? Had, You're I fine. Had, <laughs> I had to go up a dark walkway to get to my house. So yeah, I was a little bit afraid of that. Uh, I mean, every actor's been in a bad movie, and every actor's had a role where they probably phoned it in. So, Wait, so... You... Oh, I was just gonna say, like, the Twilight movies have good actors in them. They do. Um, all of them mostly are really good. It just. Not really in those movies. But I mean, then you I have just... like Michael Sheen, who is just being himself. So he's the best. <laughs> oh, I saw like a like a, a thing earlier. There's like the one character that walks in with a bag of of, uh, of eggs, and everyone's just like, "Was that about?" Because he apparently walked on set with that, and they were just like, "That's hilarious! What the hell is that? Do that in the scene today." <laughs> so he walks in with like a bag full of hard boiled eggs. Because why not? Hey, that's because how. Someone, that's someone how was like, "LOL, what are you doing, dude?" And it was because he had to like keep working out and keep the protein going, so he was eating eggs randomly. Well, that's like how Tony Stark became a snack guy because Robert Downey Jr. hid snacks on the set, and then they just put that in the movie. And people like wouldn't find him, and then like all of a sudden he's like, "Want a blueberry?" And you're like, <laughs> yeah, where, are these "Where the hell did you get blueberries from?" <laughs> Who's gonna argue with Robert Downey Jr. if he offers you a blueberry? I mean, I gotta imagine, because that scene has a lot of plot in it, and a lot of character in it, and you're probably in there all day for a couple days. Yeah, so he's just like, screw it, I'm hungry. Would you like a chocolate-covered pretzel? I can't blame him, I love snacks. (laughs) Dude, snacks are the best. Alright, we're about to run out of time here, but I have one final... Uh, topic that I just wanted to touch on real quick because I know that you're you're a big fan and Dan's a big fan. Um, Dan has actually finally seen The Secrets of Dumbledore, the latest in the Fantastic Beasts series. I have not. 
but that is something that I know that he watched. So here's what I would like to ask you, and it's a general question for all of us here. Because I mentioned this on another uh, another podcast. I either mentioned this on this show or I mentioned it on my one-man show, and I can't remember. I don't remember what I had for dinner three nights ago. But one of the things that I always found interesting was that when they did the Harry Potter movies and did the translation from book to movie, um, this actually might have been something that Dan has brought up in the past too. If you haven't read the books... Some of those later movies are just not that good because they're blatantly leaving stuff out and not explaining it and just expecting you to know what that is. Dan, you have mentioned that before. So Also, some of my favorite scenes in all the books aren't in the movies. <laughs> yes. Yes. <clears throat> some of my favorite characters. Especially in, in Order of the Phoenix. I left Order of the Phoenix and I was like, I feel like two of the most important scenes... In all of Harry Potter were cut from that movie. There was a lot that was... They almost cut Creature from that movie. Yeah, and J.K. And was like, no, this is... We're going to need him. <laughs> they, they tried to really... That was a hefty book. And they just barely skimmed the surface of it. And I remember hearing that like the director was like, okay, you made the last book and it's a really long movie. And this is the longest book. I'm going to try and make it as short as possible. And I was like, why you do this? <laughs> yeah, it really, it wasn't really. It's the most powerful story in the. Yeah, I was, when that came out, that was a huge deal. Um, I actually went and saw it, like, it was one of my first experiences seeing, like, opening night movie, like, energy. I actually got to see it, like, a couple of weeks before it came out they did like some kind of tour or something and I got to go see it, which was really cool. But no, that movie, it was, it was a good movie, but no, the book is. Why didn't they have the scene with Mrs. Weasley fighting the Boggart? Yes. Sons of bitches. That was a powerful scene. Um, where she's just crying over everybody. And that's when Harry finally feels like, I guess it really cements, that she, Mrs. Weasley is, for all intents and purposes, at that point, his mother. So people who don't know, there's a scene in there where she learns that there's a bogger in one of the old uh, dressers in the house. And she's like, okay, I can go take care of that. And they find her later sobbing as she continues to try to use the ridiculous charm, and it just turns into dead bodies of her children and... Harry and other friends. Yeah, basically her entire family. I think Arthur was even one of them too. So, so it's like that's her greatest fear at that moment was that this war is going to kill them all. The one, well, that, well, the well. one that got me was when somebody pointed out that in that scene, when it kept transforming into different members of the family, it still had the twins together because even in Molly Weasley's worst nightmare, the twins would never have been separated. And then I remember the comment under that just said, the noise I made was not human. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was always a big thing for me, too. And I remember, like, and I, I mentioned this on another show, but, like, if I actually did my top 50 movies of all time, I don't even think one of the Harry Potters would crack it. Just mm -hmm. because I just feel like 
they they were good movies, but nothing stands out as being some kind of a blockbuster epic. They're just they exist to be visual storytelling of this great franchise, but were any of them truly blowaways? Because yeah, at the time you watch it and you're like, oh my god, I just watched this book come to life. But how many of them really stick with you? And then when you compare them to other movies that you've seen, have made that same kind of an impact. The books are a different story altogether. Okay, but... so the other scene is when they go to St. Mungo's at Christmas time. Oh. And they beat Gilderoy Lockhart, it was, it was obliviated. And then. Oh. That one kills me. Neville's parents. And they had and shot that too. And they cut it. Worst decision ever. The one that I, still pisses me off is what they cut from the Dursleys departing in Deathly Hollows, where yes. Harry and Petunia share like, the moment where she says, like, you didn't just lose your mother that night. I lost a sister. And Dudley, of course, shakes his hand and says, I yeah, never thought it, you were a waste of space. And It gives the characters a bit of a redemption. It gives them a more positive send off. But yes. to be fair, we get the more heartfelt part of Hermione modifying her parents' memory. That's a tearjerker, too. That one, yeah, that yeah, one because that's just, she just explains that she did it in the book, but we actually see her do it in the I movie. I actually have read theories that um, she obliviated her parents uh, in the summer after third year, I think. Because at that point, she starts spending more and more time at Ron's in the summer. And there are a lot of people who think that she obliviated her parents at that point and not the summer after sixth year. They think it was after third year, after like Sirius came out um, and, or actually, no, I think it was after fourth year because that was when the Voldemort came back. You know what scene I wish they had kept in? When Ron attempts to use the telephone to call Harry. That was good. That and was he's just process. screaming. Or when the Weasleys all show up at the at uh, the Dursley's house. And their fireplace is blocked in. <laughs> and they all just keep showing up in there. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that they cut. I mean, they cut what was probably going to be the best game of Quidditch you were ever going to see. Weasley is our king. <laughs> I was talking about the World Cup, but yes, that that too. Yeah, Weasley is our king. Yeah, gotta love that that franchise. He didn't let the quaffle in. Uh, before we depart, Shannon, is there any other any other topics you'd like to discuss, real quick? Anything you've been watching recently? Yeah. So um, this weekend, pretty big. Um... This weekend is the celebration of Queen Elizabeth, um, the Queen of the United Kingdom. She is celebrating her 70th year on the throne. Platinum anniversary. Her platinum jubilee today is the final day of it. It's been a four days. There's been a lot going on. we even got to see the Queen twice a couple of times this weekend, which was really cool. 
and um, we got to see her again for a last time for the last time for this weekend today with um, Charles, Camilla, and the Cambridges and their kids. I haven't seen the thing of the of the the great grandkids like getting bored and like hating all the noise. <laughs> yes, um, on Friday I think when they did the Trooping of the Color and they do the flyover. Um, Prince Louis, he is the Cambridges' youngest son. Um, he's only like four years old, I think, and he caught he got the eye of a lot of the media because it was loud with planes flying over. So he, obviously he was not excited by that. And he was doing what any typical four-year-old would do and covering his ears and yelling like, this, I don't like this. And um, so a lot of media attention on him this weekend because he is adorable. But um, so, yeah, we got to see everybody. Even um, there was a not-so-surprising arrival of the Sussexes. Um, surprisingly, they kept far away from William and Kate. So um, no drama there, unfortunately. But there's been a lot going on this weekend, um, a lot of big celebrations, you know, 70 years. And it's like a lot. She's managed to somehow flip between this, these generations flawlessly and still maintain you know just there, it's a lot to be queen so just maintaining all of her um, constituents and things like that there's been a lot going on a lot of prime ministers a lot of family drama a lot of country uh, state issues so um, a very big celebration for her um, it was really nice to be able to see her this weekend. We haven't been getting a lot of sightings of her recently. So it was nice to see her out and about and just in good spirits. So a shout out to my Hi. friend in England, Ian, who sent me a message. He goes, are you guys paying attention in the States to what's happening over here? I said, well, I'm oh, not, but let me ask my wife because I guarantee you oh, she is. <laughs> I'm like, are she'll definitely know. paying attention. Um, if you get a chance to, um, the there was a concert last night. Uh, there was a little clip with the Queen with Paddington Bear. And it also kicked off the concert. And um, the Queen, the Queen of England, she was playing the tune to We Will Rock You with her teaspoon on her teacup. It was That's pretty good. The most awesome thing that I've ever seen. If you get the chance, please look it up on YouTube. It's I was like a giddy little child watching it. It was so so cute. Hey, if you guys so want to ex- if you guys want to experience any of this in person, you can go to emersoncotton.teletravel.com and book your next trip to England right now with our sponsor, Motivational Vacations with Emerson A Cotton. Get yourselves over to England and experience the what? What anniversary was it, Dan? The platinum one. Yep, platinum. Seventieth platinum jubilee. Platinum jubilee. Seventieth year. Yes. There you go. Big big occasion. So she's one of our longest reigning monarchs. If you guys want ever. To, there you go. If you guys want to support the channel? You can buy a T-shirt at my Redbubble store. Link in the description. Next week we'll be discussing 1992. Uh, 
Eric might be back, or he might have gotten destroyed in the Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, and we might never or see him again. Or he's going to the national championship. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a national. I, I mean, it probably is. Oh, I'm sure. I think it's isn't. just like at his local store that he did good enough to continue in a tournament. Well, I mean, that's awesome, though, because good for him. Well, that's and... how Calvin met Will Wheaton, so. Yes. So uh, my my other wife will be back next week. We shall see. But I hope you guys enjoyed listening to The Main Wife, not not the secondary one in Michigan. The unofficial one. The unofficial one. <laughs> Although official by some people's standards. Shoutouts to our awesome patrons, Jeff T., Jay Winger, Glenn Kukan, Adrian Cotton, Matthew Hardman, Brian Leon, and Robert Atkin. You guys can become a patron at patreon.com slash club kayfabe for only five bucks a month. Get access to exclusive content, early access, perks about controlling content on the shows, and of course, access to everything right off the bat. There is no, nothing hidden on those tiers for you here. We'll be back next week as you check out all the great shows on CKCC Radio. I won't do any more extensive plugs because the show did run long. We will discuss what's going on in the world of Obi-Wan next week when Eric is back. And if you guys liked hearing Shannon on the show and would like to hear more of her, you can let us know and we will invite her back. I know your first appearance got a lot of positive feedback, so maybe this one will too. Who knows? I can't predict these things. But we thank you all for listening, and we will see you guys next time for another fun-filled edition of The Nerd Table. This has been another episode of The Nerd Table on CKCC Radio. Check out all the shows at ckccradio.com and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.